all of you that are here and to all of our brothers and sisters, um, especially the ones I'm aware of that are home watching us because you're not feeling well this evening. Thank you for for joining us. I, I had someone tell me just the other day that they they've they, you know they've watched a number of different things, churches and services online, but but they told me that one of the things that just has stood out to them about watching stuff from Antioch, including Antioch United, is that they feel something. And I I believe God is the same. I. I almost say it again. If you use online as a cop out and excuse not to come, it's not, you know, it's easier just to lay there in your pajamas and drink your coffee and you don't feel like going through the hassle. I I pray that your internet does not work, that it freezes up. I, I'm serious. Because it's not intended to be a cop out or a way for us to find an easier way. Please show me one place in the Bible where it, it, it is about us finding the easiest, most convenient way. But that being said, I am thankful. I'm thankful for nights like tonight when people are not able to be with us physically for various reasons. They can still be a part. And I'm thankful for the impact that we're able to have even beyond that. So, amen. I, I want to, uh, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my, my pastor's heart here this evening. If you could... Um, assuming I've done my part. Ah, hallelujah, I got it. I, I really have sort of two different things I want to, I feel led to talk about this evening. Um, the first one, I don't know that I really would consider it teaching per se as much as pastoring for a few moments. The second part is more so, I guess, some teaching. Uh, this is my only night to teach for the next several weeks. Because next Thursday, um, we've got some great people that are going to be taking care of what's going on. I'm not, um, I'm not delegating and trusting. Uh, The following week, actually, there won't be service that following Thursday night. We're hosting the North American Bible Quizzing Extravaganza again. And uh, they're basically using our entire building for that. So it, it, it's going to be a little while, so I, I'm no new series and whatever. This is, uh, um, this is just kind of a, not a one-night stand, but um, so. Let me read a couple of verses for part one to you. And they're really not connected, so this is, um, this is very poor. Tonight will be a very poor example of the art of preaching or teaching which I would venture to say most of the time I preach or teach, it's a poor example. So I don't, I'm not, I don't mean that demeaning. I mean that in the context of things that are supposedly the way you're supposed to do it. So I wasn't fishing for. So Matthew 10, I want to read a, to read a couple verses and then, and then you can be seated. When he had called unto him, His twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is also called, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, 
John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayeth him. Lord, thank you for another privilege and opportunity to be together. Lord, it's, it's easy to take this opportunity for granted because we're so used to it, but there's so many people around the world that don't have a chance to do what we're doing here this evening. So, Lord, I thank you. I, I thank you not only from the perspective of, of the pastor of this congregation, but I thank you for myself personally. that I have this opportunity to join together with people of like precious faith to worship you, to exalt your name, and also, Lord, to grow and develop in our relationship with you, our walk with you, and our understanding of the kingdom and our place in the kingdom. So I pray that you would speak to, to us this evening what you would have to say. Let us have ears to hear and receive what you would say. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I can't pinpoint when it happened, but at some point it kind of dawned on me that when we went to drop our kids off someplace or if we were taking them to my parents' house and leaving them for whatever length of time, that I don't consciously remember not giving the speech. It just stopped. You know that speech? Make sure you use your manners. Make sure you're pleased and thank you. at some point that stopped, and it stopped because it, it wasn't needed anymore. And, and uh, I, I'm going to take a few moments here on something that hopefully in the future I'll, I'll stop. But until I've got a little more peace and confidence that we've got a hold of it, I, I'm going to give you the speech every now and then. <laughs> so I, I, want you to, uh, I want you to notice something here. And, and uh, he, he, Matthew is giving... Um, he, he's giving the list of the apostles and, and he's naming them. And, and with a couple of them, he gives a little bit more than a name, but it, it's, it's, you know, mainly it's more so relationships or like Simon, who is also called Peter. But, but as he's going through this list, when he gets to the name Matthew, when he gets to himself, he actually adds something in there with his name. And if you go to the other two Gospels that make a reference to him, Luke and Mark, they say it this way, After these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. Mark 2 and 14, Mark says, As he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me, and, and he arose and followed him. So out of, out of the three Gospels that reference Matthew, and I'll show you, um, I, I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment, but, but basically Matthew is the name that Matthew apparently used after Jesus called him to be a disciple. And so the Levi that Luke and Mark are referring to is Matthew. But notice, notice the way Mark and Luke refer to, to Levi. 
They said we, Jesus passed by and, and saw him sitting at the receipt of custom. If you don't really know what that means, I can tell you in three simple letters what that basically means. IRS. <laughs> but, but, and I've said this many times before and I'll probably say it again in the future. I never want to sort of overanalyze what scripture says. I don't want to read into something. But at, at least at face value of these two verses, in uh, the verse in Luke and the verse in Mark, it, it doesn't say that Levi was a tax collector. It just says they saw him sitting at the receipt of custom. So, in my opinion, the way this verse says it, it could leave it to your imagination to say, well, he was just sitting there as, as a customer. He was just there because he needed to take care of some, of some taxes. But Matthew, Matthew, not Luke, not Mark, Matthew says about himself, Matthew, the publican. Matthew didn't say, I was sitting at the receipt of custom to leave it open-minded as to whether or not he was there because he had a debt to pay or he was there because he was collecting the taxes. And so he makes it clear in his gospel, and he says, Matthew, the publican. Here is, let me, here we go. Easton's Bible Dictionary says, formerly the name by which he was known was Levi. He now changed it, possibly in grateful memory of his call to Matthew. Changed it to Matthew. The name Levi, it means associated with him. It means joined. How interesting is that because he, he became associated with Jesus. He joined Jesus as a disciple. But then after that, he had a name change to Matthew, which means gift of Jehovah. But again, it was Matthew who basically told on himself. It wasn't Mark and Luke telling on Matthew. Matthew says, hey, I want you to know, I'm Matthew. I was the tax collector. I was the publican. That's who I was. Here's the gist of this first part this evening. I've said this in various ways in the past, but let me say it to you this way. It's not your right to tell somebody's testimony. And it's not your right to label people based on their past. If somebody wants to express for themselves, this is who I was, and this is who I am now, that's their prerogative. But for you and I to do that is not our prerogative. 
And, and there's already been times in the past where this relates to, but I'm just going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, the people that are going to be a part of the harvest that God is going to bring to this congregation are going to be people that can identify themselves as some things they were. But they don't need you and I putting that label above them so that they are living under the shadow of that because of others. Did you know what so-and-so was? Did you know what they were addicted to? Do you know what they did? No. Read 1 Corinthians 13. Writers at 2 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Read 1 Corinthians 13 if you haven't read it in a while. Love covers. Love hides. Love does not expose and reveal. Now, that doesn't mean hiding in the way a politician hides his past so he can get elected. Love covers to hide to give God the opportunity to deal with somebody's heart and life and the struggles they're going through. And so when you and I prematurely expose or uncover what God is trying to work on, we become at the very least a stumbling block, if not aborting what God was doing altogether. I, you may be sitting there thinking, my brother, right, what in the world, what are you, why are you on this, and why are you so? First of all, because of faith of what's coming. But secondly, we, do you, you want everybody telling everything about your past? If you want to give your testimony, give your testimony. Matthew, if you want to make sure that people know who you are and what God brought you out of, go ahead and shout it from the rooftop. But I'm not going to shout your business from the rooftop for you. 1 Timothy 1 and 12, Paul does a similar thing. I thank Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, whom hath enabled me for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And, and then watch what he does. He throws himself under the bus. <laughs> Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Paul was owning up to what he had done. He was owning up to the mistakes he had made. But he was the one. It wasn't whisperings and gossip and backbiting that was talking about, well, you know who he is, don't you? You know what he used to be, don't you? You know what he used to do. No. Paul says, I'm going to tell you up front who I was, what I did, because it's the mercy and grace of God that now allows me to do and to be what I am. I'm not saying you should not share your testimony. I'm not, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. But they overcame by their testimony. It's not my right to overcome by your testimony. When you go telling people's testimony and telling people's past before they have, 
there's a really good chance you're opening a door that the enemy's going to take advantage of. I, I was on the phone with somebody today, and 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 this 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 topic came up where, you know, for a lot of times, all the devil needs to do is just give us one thought, meaning accusation or criticism. And you know what we often do? We don't we don't literally say this, but in essence, what we do is we say, "Okay, I got it from here." He doesn't have to heap on us. He just gets us one thought. What do you think you're doing worshiping? Don't you remember what you did this week? And he goes on to the next person. What do you think you're doing teaching Sunday school today? Don't you remember your mistakes? And he goes on to the next person. And then we start fanning the flame of guilt and condemnation. The enemy's going to do it. That, that's what he's going to do. But we don't, as the body, need to provide ammunition for that. I, I, I want to be very careful. And, and if this person, I'm not going to call any names. If this person happens to be watching right now, I hope you forgive me for this. If you don't. But I, 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 I had a, I had a, 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 a prodigal. Tell me, one that's come back, the struggle they went through, that there was a long period of time they wanted to come back, but they were struggling to. The last thing in the world that needs to happen is for a prodigal or a person that's never been saved. To walk through the doors and for us to give evidence to the things the enemy has told them. Because the prodigals and the folks that have never been saved are going to both go through a similar struggle. They're not going to accept you there. They're not going to love you there. They find out what you've done, who you're there. No, no. It is not our job to uncover what the blood covers. It's not your and my right to reveal what the blood is trying to hide. Look, look at this. This is the last verse on this part one tonight. Part one's the shorter part, too. So, <laughs> this is the story of of Saul who becomes Paul. This is. This is a part of the, his conversion. He's, he's already been struck down by the bright light, the voice from heaven. And now he's in the process of, of, of going to Ananias. And, 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 and the Lord had to speak to Ananias to tell him to go to Paul. And so they're now, they're now meeting. And, and, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said... It's the persecutor. It's the blasphemer. Read the chapter. He hasn't been baptized yet. He hasn't been filled with the Spirit yet. 
And yet when Ananias greets the one who was known to be persecuting the Christians, the one who was wreaking havoc on the church, he he greets him as Brother Saul. I was, Brother Gus Wilson and I were doing Bible study a couple days ago and, and, and we were reading through the story of Paul. And I, I read that, we read that verse and that just absolutely jumped out at me that Ananias' greeting, his initial greeting to a man that had not been converted yet was a greeting of affection. It wasn't a, yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe you're just setting me up. Maybe you're not the, God have mercy on us that we ever develop an attitude towards anyone, prodigals or the orphans as we call them. That is a, well, let's see attitude. Well, let's see how long they're going to stick around. Let's see how long they stay. What if they would have stuck if we'd have had a better attitude and spirit about it? So, again, out of faith for where we're going and what God is doing. There, there, there's, I, I forget, I've said this somewhere recently. It may have been in our small group leaders call. Um, couple Saturdays ago. You know, there, there was a day and time, and going back probably at least my childhood, probably as, that, as recent as that, but there was a day and time where, you know, there was some, there was some people that came and got saved that they were, they were, you know, from a natural standpoint, Brother Evans, they were good people. Good family, husband, wife, children, good job, not, not a you know, not alcoholics, not drug addicts, just, but they were just hungry for God. And get... well, Let me tell you something. There's not very many of those left anymore. I'm not trying to be unkind. It's the world we're in that there are so many broken people. And I remind you, First of all, the story of the four kinds of ground, I remind you, was not about sinners. He was talking to His disciples and He told His disciples, you be careful how you hear. Because in the parable of that seed, I don't know of anything in there that says that the ground was was not fertile ground. There was hard wayside ground that had been packed down. There was rocky ground. There was thorny ground. But all three of those kinds of grounds, the issues that were mentioned, can be dealt with. And so you know what? There's probably a lot. I I think that, you know, that to me, that parable's gotten used a lot through the years to be this. Great cop out. Well, there's hardly anybody that's going to be saved because there's only one out of four kinds of ground that are good ground. Yeah, and you're here and you probably weren't a good ground. Because again, just one of those three, we got any folks from New England or ever been to New England? You see 
fields lined with stone walls. Those aren't stone walls that they went down to Home Depot and bought those stones and brought them in and made walls, fences. Those are stones that were dug out of stony ground so that what was stony ground that really wasn't good for planting stuff, they dug the stones out and now it becomes good ground. So the fact that there's only one out of four kinds of ground that is good from the beginning is not a cop-out to say, well, they didn't stick around. there. No, maybe if we'd have done a little bit of weeding. Maybe if somehow by the help of the Lord we'd have gone in and pulled some thorns out. There wouldn't have been a chance for it to choke out the seed. Praise God. Amen. And I might as well go ahead with one of my soap boxes as I transition here. It is not your job, and it's really not my job. When somebody gets baptized and receives the Holy Ghost, for you to inform them of all the do's and the don'ts. You let Jesus take care of that. You let the Spirit of God take care of that. You let the Word take care of that. And I've said this dozens of times, and I will keep saying it every time I make a point along these lines. Show me the person that is telling people what they have to do, what they can't do, can't wear this, can't wear, gotta wear this, can't do this. I, I can guarantee you that person, they're probably doing They're probably abiding by what they're saying. But they're doing it out of obligation. And they resent doing it. And so really what they're saying is, if I've got to do this, then you've got to do this too. But if we just trust the Word of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, He can bring about amazing transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I won't make you stand again and reset. I'll just. I uh, I just we just finished last night um, the be holy part two series, part of the grow process and um, part of the uh, intention of that was to get it recorded so that those of you that are working through your grow stuff can get that series, and we had some glitches, and the first two weeks, I think it was, are somewhere in outer space. So last night, we finished up, and um, we finished with this passage, and I just, I really haven't been able to get away from something in this passage, and um I, I, this first part that I just shared, I've, I've felt that for weeks and was just waiting on the opportunity. Uh, but this other part really was more recent direction, which is not all that uncommon. So I, I want to read this. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of this passage. And as I start to read it, some of you are going to recognize this passage but I'm, I'm, I'm not about to talk about what is the primary part of this passage. So, 1 Corinthians 
11, starting with verse number 1. Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, prophes- every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. Let me, let me just insert, and I have sort of hammered this, I think, throughout this, this class that we just finished. But if you read, the, if you read some things from a natural carnal perspective in Scripture, you could possibly walk away with the interpretation that, that, that women are inferior, they're not as important, they're not as significant as men. If you read it from a natural perspective. But if you understand the significance of typology in Scripture, and I just... Some of what I just read to you talks about it. Paul talks about it also in Ephesians, where he talks about that that husbands ought to love their wives. How? As Christ loved the church. And, And wives are supposed to be subjected to their husbands, not as the natural, physical, subordinate person, but they represent the church, the body. And so when you understand that these things in Scripture is because God is using them to be a natural example of spiritual principles. That's why, again, when it comes to outward appearance and the things that we believe as apostolics, it impacts the ladies more than the men because the ladies are the ones that have been chosen by God to represent the bride, the church. So... For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Again, if you're reading that, then that sounds like God has got a problem with women. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angel. Nevertheless, neither is man without the woman, neither woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Do not, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for her covering. So we got this chapter up to this point that the big topic there is, has to do with hair, men's hair, women's hair, and very important. Paul's going through all of these things and talking about these different principles, and he's talking about how that in nature, even nature, 
Even nature teaches us that there's a difference, there's a distinction between men and women. But I want you to watch this next verse, and this next verse is where I want to spend the remainder of this evening focusing on. Verse number 16, Paul says, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Listen to that verse and a couple of other translations. The Today's English version says it this way, If anyone wants to argue about it, all I have to say is that neither we nor the churches of God have any other custom in worship. The Message Bible says, I hope you're not going to be argumentative about this. All God's churches see it this way. I don't want you standing out as an exception. And then lastly, the Living Bible says, but if anyone wants to argue about this, all I can say is that we never teach anything else than this, that a woman should wear a covering when prophesying or praying publicly in the church, and all the churches feel the same way about it. I, to those of you that have been in the Be Holy class, I guess especially last night, I apologize for you hearing some of this again, but... It bothers me that in the day and time we live in, and I'm speaking really more so about those of like precious faith, apostolics, Pentecostals. And, and I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm just going to insert this. I don't want to be offensive, sound offensive to anyone, but, you know, there was a day in which we identified ourselves as Pentecostal, but then we, that started getting kind of watered down for various reasons. And then now we've, we've shifted and we're focused more on being apostolic. But if you paid much attention, <laughs> that term and its use is getting watered down as well. I guess the bottom line is it's not really about the labels, it's about the book. But I'm speaking as an apostolic to apostolics. I, I, am, I have been for a while, and there are things that continue to happen that cause me to be even more disturbed in my spirit, that, that people want to spend more time arguing against things. I'm talking Bible things, Bible doctrines. They want to spend more time arguing against them than arguing or standing for them. They want to argue why our outward appearance doesn't really matter. They want to argue why the way we worship doesn't matter. They, they want to argue about all of these different things. And, and so Paul is addressing what apparently was an issue at the church in Corinth. And he goes through this exhortation about this is the, this is the, this is biblical. This is scriptural or, or, or this is, this is the way it is. Nature teaches us. But then the last thing he says, He's saying, if for no other reason you ought to accept what I'm saying because it is the commonly held belief. Let me go back to the, to the King James. It is the, it is, we have no custom. We don't have a custom different than this. Neither the churches of God. 
So he wasn't just referencing religion, Christianity as a whole. He, he, he clarified the churches of God. I, and I, I don't, I don't want to, and, and this is a Thursday night, and, and there's some newer people here tonight, and, and uh, please understand that, that, you know, Thursday nights is sometimes kind of like a family meeting. And I don't mean in that in the sense of, of you know, scolding and, and all of that, even though sometimes that happens. I just mean that's, it's the time to be the freest. I have thoroughly enjoyed the last several weeks of teaching this class on Wednesday night because even though it's being recorded, it's not being streamed. And I, I used to, when we first started streaming, it was a constant battle. Who's watching? Who's listening to what? Thankfully, I finally got through that. And I don't usually really think about it. But I, I, I believe we have a responsibility. The Bible says we should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But you know what? If you don't want to believe what we as apostolics believe, if you don't want to believe what is considered to be apostolic doctrine, go someplace else. Because for the apostolics, there's no other custom. For apostolics, it's except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That it, if That's apostolic. It's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are not three separate co-equal persons. It's one God manifested in three different ways. That's, that's the custom. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I, I know for my one night to teach on Thursday night in weeks, there's tons of other more enjoyable topics. But I, I'm here tonight to hopefully to challenge and, and caution some of you. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world accepts. We don't determine what we believe based on what's popular in the world. Our source of what we believe comes from one place, and that place never changes. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the Word of God remains the same. I don't care what laws get passed. I don't care what morals change in our society. I don't care what the world says it's acceptable for you to do. Contrary to the Word of God, the Word of God is the only measurement to go by. I don't want to bog you down with this, but I want you to hear a little bit 
getting this idea of what Paul is saying about if any man's contentious about this, this topic, and, 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 and my point of this is not the topic Paul was talking about here. It's the broader principle, because I think you can take what Paul is saying here and apply it beyond this. Do I believe that everything we teach and preach should be based on the Word of God and it shouldn't be based on just one Scripture by itself? Absolutely I do. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You don't make a doctrine out of one verse. If you were to take just one verse, you could tell people the only thing you need to do to be saved is just hope. Another place you can tell people all you got to do to be saved is believe. But when you start putting the pieces all together, then you start to go, okay, well, if I start kind of close to the beginning, you got to have blood, water, and spirit for salvation. And then I go to what Paul says about the gospel, that it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I go to what Peter told him to do on the day of Pentecost, that he said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when I put all those pieces together, I can't tell you, just have hope and you'll be saved. So, this, this contentious and this arguing about what is accepted common beliefs. Adam Clark says, if any person sets himself up as a wrangler, puts himself forward as a defender of such points, that a woman may pray or teach with her head uncovered, and that a man may without reproach have long hair, let him know that we have no such custom as either, nor are they sanctioned by any of the churches of God, whether among the Jews or the Gentiles. We have already seen that the verb... Whatever, which we translate to seem, the word seem, generally strengthens and increases the sense. From the attention that the apostle has paid to the subject of veils and hair, it is evident that it must have occasioned considerable disturbance of the church in Corinth, of Corinth. They have produced evil effects in much later times. This was obviously a major topic that Paul is addressing. And after he lays forth his arguments about it all, His final appeal is, for the churches of God, this is the custom. This is what we hold as common beliefs. Some of you don't really know this, and I'm glad you don't know it, and I hope you don't learn it. But over the last several decades, there's more and more people that have been trying to change the apostolic faith. And things that we have believed, first of all, because the Word of God says, but secondly, because they have been the customs that have been commonly held among us. How many of you like cheeseburgers? How many of you, your favorite cheeseburger is from Wendy's? Anybody? No? Yeah. Oh, if there's nobody Wendy's, I'm pretty sure there won't be McDonald's. Yeah. Man, y'all are a tough crowd. I thought I'd at least get one. Anybody Burger King? Bishop's not here. Oh, we got a couple. Y'all are all just trying to be in the Bishop's club. How about how about the burger joint? Anybody ever got a burger there? It's over in, it's a couple of couple of doors down from uh, Mission Barbecue. So why go there when you can go to Mission Barbecue? 
How about five guys? Anybody? I think I think that's probably about my favorite. How about I, I'm, I'm this is probably going to be really pushing it, but do do we have any um, do we have any um, uh, Big Mac? Yeah, I can't even remember what Mac. We got any Big Mac people? You like Big? You at least I'm not going to say lovers. You like. Would, would you go to Burger King and order a Big Mac? Absolutely not. Would you go to McDonald's and order a Whopper? No? Now, why wouldn't you go to Burger King and order, order a Big Mac? They don't got them there. <laughs> But they've got the, the same ingredients, basically. I mean, they got bread, they got the meat, right? But that's not what Burger King makes. Neither do you go to McDonald's and say, you know what, I want a Whopper. If you're on West Street and you do that, they'll say, then go over there. How is it that we understand, and I know that's a really simple example, but how is it we understand, naturally speaking, if I like something, I go to what has it. And I don't expect them to become something else. So I'm going to tell at least this congregation, and I know I just got through saying the term is now watered down, but in the purest sense of the term from my perspective, this is an apostolic church. And as an apostolic church, we hold to things that are custom among apostolic churches. And so if you don't like the flavor of it, then go someplace that's got the flavor you've got, you like. But we're not changing who we are. And I gotta tell you, I, I, I believe I'm, I'm challenging and I'm speaking to you, but I'm also telling you, I feel in my spirit tonight, I'm challenging a spirit, not a human spirit. Don't get me wrong, I don't mean a human spirit, I don't feel any resistance from anybody, but I'm talking about a spirit that's trying to creep its way into the apostolic church and is trying to get us to water down what we believe, water down what we stand for, water down how we live, water down everything we do to try to get Burger King to become McDonald's. I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, not preaching, sorry. Barnes Note says this, The sense of this passage is probably this. If any man, any teacher or others is disposed to be strenuous about this or to make it a matter of difficulty, if he is disposed to call and question my reasoning and to dispute my premises and the considerations which I have advanced and to maintain still that it is proper for women to appear unveiled and that it is that it is pro- and they're they're arguing that it is proper for women to appear unveiled in public i would add that in judea we have no such custom neither does it prevail among any of the churches 
This, therefore, would be a sufficient reason why it should not be done in Corinth, even if the abstract reasoning should not convince them on the, of the impropriety, it would be singular, would, would be contrary to the usual custom, would, be a, would offend the prejudices of many and should, therefore, be avoided. If all of the things I've just laid out to you are not enough to convince you, My final appeal, my final argument is that this is what is the commonly held belief of the churches. He says, I don't know of any such custom that's different than this. Again, so, you know, well, well, then why aren't we? I'm not talking about all churches. Paul wasn't talking about all churches. He clarified the churches among the churches of God. I don't know about you, but the fact that he said, he didn't just say churches. He made a distinction among the churches of God. There's no other custom. That to me implies there was some other churches that weren't churches of God. You say, Pastor, you're being judgmental. You're being, I'm talking about us. Not here tonight talking about what they do or don't do. I'm talking about who we are and staying who we are. You understand what Paul wasn't debating an outsider here. That that, that goes back to my point a few minutes ago of being so disturbed. But I guess bottom line, there's nothing new under the sun. But Paul is he's challenging this internal conflict in the church because people are arguing about what was some commonly held things. And so again, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not Bishop. I'm not my dad. I can't be him. And as far as I know, I, I really have never tried. I can't do what he does the way he does it. I, 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 I told him um, in, in Houston a couple of weeks ago when I was down there and the first part of that trip was for a pause with Bishop and then I preached the part. I, I, I felt like the Lord uh, impressed upon me the stuff I taught the beginning of the year about the love of the world, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I felt like the Lord gave me some insight of how that could apply to the church, to a local church. And I told him, you know, Bishop, Bishop gets into a series and he'll spend 78 hours in the studio and get done. And he hadn't even scratched the surface. My series, when I teach a series, I'm more like the children of, the, of Israel in the wilderness. They had enough manna for each day. I get enough stuff for each time I teach. And then I, that's it. <laughs> Please hear me. Please hear me. And I've, I just, I, 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 this is where that broadcasting thing is messing with my mind because I can hear some people, I can imagine some people wanting to, they could label me some very unkind things for the point that I'm trying to make. Again, do I believe we should be able to show from Scripture what we believe, teach, and preach? Absolutely. My opinions are no more important than your opinions. 
Just because I'm the pastor doesn't make my opinions more significant than your opinions. We all have the right to our opinions. And I'm quite sure I have not done it perfectly. But by the help of, God, uh, by the, help of the Lord, anything I ever say from behind a pulpit is, if it's my opinion, I try to make that clear. Because if I'm speaking for God, I don't have the right to speak my opinion. And if I believe I'm speaking for God, I better be able to back up what I'm saying in His Word. So I believe in that. I believe in the need for teaching and explaining. But again, there's some people, you can hit it from every single direction. You can nail it down from every side. You can do like Bishop says he does. Put the nail in. Get the nail set out and set the nail. And then get another nail set and then set that nail set. And they still won't. And, and, and I think in essence that's what Paul is saying. I've laid out valid arguments. And so if after all that you're not willing to accept what I'm saying, then maybe just the fact that the churches of God hold this belief. I'm not going to read that part. If you want the notes, email me. I'll share them. But listen to the bishop use these verses. Uh, I believe it was at United Leadership Meeting. Jude, verse 3. There's only one chapter for the book of Jude. So Jude, verse 3. Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are, listen to this, there are certain men, and I don't think men here is intended to be gender specific. I, don't, I think it's broader than that with what is being said. There are certain men crept in unawares who before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The Amplified says it this way, For certain men have crept in stealthily, gaining interest, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. Their doom was predicted long ago, ungodly, impious, profane persons who pervert the grace, the spiritual blessing and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality and disown and deny our soul, Master and Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. What he is saying here, there are, there are these people who have snuck their way into the body, into the church. I, I, I told the, the, the pastor in Kenya that the, we, we started going back and forth and first just on Facebook Messenger and, and uh, you know, he said something about wanting me to speak and I, I made a reference about, you know, being a little bit nervous and something about that and he responds and he's like, don't be nervous, have courage. And I said, no, you, you're missing my point. The Bible tells us we should know them that labor among us. And why you would want me as a complete stranger to preach, to speak, to influence people, and you don't know what I'm all about? 
I have a responsibility as the shepherd of this flock to protect you, and I respect that for somebody else. And the bottom line is, if somebody's not that concerned about who I am, to want to know, that's red flags to me. Know them. The Living Bible, I say this because some godless teachers have wormed their way in among you saying that after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without fear of God's punishment. The fate of such people was written long ago for they have turned against our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Read what Paul tells Timothy about perilous times in the last days. And he talks about those that creep into houses and lead silly women captive. I, I don't have time to get in some big exhort or, 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 or dissertation on this, but I believe Paul in the Holy Ghost was referencing things, referencing things that you and I are now living today. Because you can creep into houses unaware more than ever before. You can creep in through books, and you can creep in through the internet, you can creep in through DVD players. And Paul said you better be cautious of those who creep in and they lead you captive unaware. So Jude says, here's what's going to there are going to be those that creep in. Why is it that when somebody comes amongst us and they start questioning and doubting what we believe the Word of God says, it starts opening up questions and doubts in our minds. Rather than going, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're showing your real colors here. You may be wearing some sheep's clothes, but there's something underneath those sheep's clothes. Because why? There, there, are, there, are, uh, there, there are, I think, in the past, from my study and whatever, there's two... There's two relationships. There, there are, there's at least two, but I think there's primarily two relationships that from a biblical standpoint, you can view them as, as sacred relationships. One is marriage, and the second is the pastor, saint, shepherd, sheep relationship. And when anybody, I don't care who they are, and I'm not talking about me as a person, I'm talking about the office that I stand in, but when anybody starts saying things to you that cause division between you and, and the pastor, again, not talking about a man, there ought to be sirens that go off in your head. Because anybody that wants to mess with the relationship between the shepherd and uh, between a sheep and the shepherd that God has placed them under is messing with a sacred relationship. Again, I'm not talking about the person, I'm talking about the office. <laughs> but we got, you know, there, there's some there's some things in the Bible that are abominations that we like to get on our high horse. I mean, we, well, we'll get on our soapbox in a second over those abominations. Isn't it amazing? 
You never hear anybody getting on their soapbox that it is an abomination to cause discord among the brethren. All those other abominations you want to talk about and get so passionate about are in the same category as an abomination of causing discord among the brethren. So when I sow seeds of discord between you and somebody else in the body, it's on the same level as all of those other things. Watch what Jesus says in one of His parables, Matthew 13 and 24 It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. If I got this correctly, that is a stalk of wheat on the left, and it's a tare on the right. They look pretty similar, don't they? That's why I didn't make the statement as an absolute. And I double-checked it a couple of times. I'm pretty certain that's wheat on the left and tares on the right, but they look very similar. Listen to what Barnes says about tares. The tear abounds all over the east and is a great nuisance to the farmer. It resembles the American cheat, but the head does not droop like cheat, nor does it branch out like oats. The grain also is smaller and is arranged along the upper part of the stalk, which stands perfectly erect. The taste is bitter, and when eaten separately or even when diffused in ordinary bread, it causes dizziness and often acts as a violent emetic. Barn door fowls also become dizzy from eating it. In short, it is a strong soporific poison and must be carefully winnowed and picked out of the wheat grain by grain before grinding or the flour is not healthy. Even the farmers who in this country generally weed their fields do not attempt to separate the one from the other. They would not only mistake good grain for them, but very commonly the roots of the two are so intertwined that it is impossible to separate them without plucking up both. Both, therefore, must be left to grow together until the time of harvest. The tares, aptly represented hypocrites in the church, strongly resembling Christians in their experience, and in some respects their lives, and in some respects their lives, it is impossible to distinguish from genuine Christians, nor can they be separated until it is done by the great searcher of hearts at the day of judgment. An enemy, the devil hath done it, and nowhere has he shown profounder cunning or done more to adulterate the purity of the gospel. The enemy is always trying to sow tares among the wheat. And you know what is a distinguishing factor, characteristic of the tares versus the wheat? I read it to you a second ago. The tares basically always remain 
upright. The wheat is bending. When somebody's always bowing up at the Word of God, when somebody's always got an issue, you might want to be careful that you might be seeing a tear. And did you see what that says? It gets intertwined in the roots. That's why you better be careful who you develop your most intimate relationships with. And I'm not talking about man and woman. I, we, we, we typically always use the word intimate now between men and women. That's not the only meaning of the word intimate. You better be careful who your best friends are. Because if you're wheat and your best friend's a tear, the more you get intertwined, the more difficult it's going to be to separate. We're supposed to love everybody. We have a responsibility to love everybody. But there's not one place that I know of in Scripture that tells me I've got to be close with everybody. The people I'm going to be close with are the people that, you know what? If I start becoming more and more like them, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. If I start acting more and more like them, I'm going to be acting more and more like what the Word of God says. That's who I'm going to let down my guard with. But if it's somebody that's living contrary, I'm not letting down my guard because I don't want to get intertwined at the roots because when when judgment comes and they're judged, I may get damaged in the process. But again, notice there's a period of time you can't tell the difference. You better be careful who it is you're opening your spirit to and what they have to say. Listen to what similar really to what Jude says. I'm going to read not going to read the King James, a couple other translations for the sake of time here, but, but really kind of similar to what Jude says, Peter says, Second Peter 2 and 1, Amplified Bible, but also in those days there arose false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among yourselves who will subtly and stealthily introduce heretical doctrines, destructive heresies, even denying and disowning the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves with destruction, and many will follow their immoral ways and lascivious doings because of them. The true way will be maligned and defamed. Because of their accusations and their criticism and their false teachings, the true way is going to be attacked. It's going to be belittled. You're old-fashioned. You're legalistic. No, I'm just standing on the principles of the Word of God. The Living Bible says it this way, But there were false prophets too in those days, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly tell their lies about God, turning against even their Master who bought them. But theirs will be a swift and terrible 
end. Many will follow their evil teaching that there is nothing wrong with sexual sin and because of them Christ and His way will be scoffed at. I just read just read something recently where a very notable pastor, non-apostolic pastor, uh, essentially has, has basically come out and said the only thing, the only part of the Bible you need is what's written in red. The pastors of a very large church has written many books. The only thing you need is what's in red. What about all the other? Because all of it was inspired by God. All Scripture. Paul didn't say all the red verses are given by inspiration of God and are profitable for doctrine. And rep- Paul said all Scripture. You see, that, that's, that, that's my concern. We're no longer just battling with contradiction from outside. We're now battling it within. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us because the Scripture told us it would happen. Message Bible, but there were also lying prophets among the people then just as there were lying religious teachers among you. They smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed up followers who can't tell right from wrong. Brother Wright, do we really have to live as stringent as you preach and teach we do? Do do we really have to be so... If you don't like Whoppers, go to Burger King. Excuse me, if you don't like McDonald's, go to Burger King. Let's listen to this. A few more minutes. A few more minutes. Children of Israel came out of Egypt. But, but watch this. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude, I want you to notice that term, the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish the, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. The Living Bible says, verse 4 and 5, this way, Then the Egyptians who had come with them began to long for the good things of Egypt. This added to the discontent of the people of Israel and they wept oh for a few bites of meat oh that we had some some of the delicious fish we enjoyed so much in Egypt and the wonderful cucumbers and melons leeks onions and garlics but now our strength is gone and day after day we have to face this manna 
I already said it a few moments ago in this session. The children of Israel coming out of Egypt was a type of salvation. Blood was applied to the doorpost. They passed through the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. And they were led by the pillar of cloud by day and the fire of night, which is a type of the Spirit. But who also came out of Egypt through the Red Sea? It wasn't just the children of Israel that came through the waters of baptism. There were some Egyptians that while they came through the waters of baptism, they were still holding on to Egypt. Do you know what? I believe there's always going to be a mixed multitude. They may have gone through the waters of baptism. They may even spoken in other tongues. But they've got their heart set on what used to be. Notice, notice it was the mixed multitude. I've always, actually I think I may have just gotten a revelation right here. I've always struggled with how do the children of Israel want to go back to Egypt when they were in bondage and slavery in Egypt? Why would you want to go back? But according to what I just read to you, it was the mixed multitude that stirred up. You know what? Things were a lot better back in Egypt. Life was a lot better the way it used to be. And people that had been delivered from bondage set free from bondage, are now getting influenced to say, yeah, you know what, it was pretty good back there. I don't think I have to say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to sow seeds of suspicion that you look at every, all of your brothers and sisters. Well, are you wheat or tear? Because I believe we ought to all trust and believe that everybody's wheat. As far as the outcome. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to be guarded with my spirit of what gets into my spirit. And again, how intertwined I get with relationships. I'm not trying to sow sow discord tonight. I'm not trying to sow suspicion, but I'm also, we got to have our guard up, folks, because Scripture prophesies there's going to be those that creep in, there's going to be false teachers, false prophets. And the bottom line is God allows them, and I think God allows them to bring some sifting. Because if you're looking for an excuse, God's going to provide an excuse. If you want a cop-out, God's going to provide a cop-out. Let me tell you something, if it hasn't happened to you yet, and you've been around any length of time, Brother Tommy, if it hasn't happened to you yet, I'd be surprised if it hasn't, but I'm just going to tell you, hear me right now, I'm on record, I'm live streaming, it's archived, you're going to get hurt by people in the church. You will get hurt. It is a guarantee at some point you're going to get wounded and you're probably going to get wounded deeply by a brother or a sister or somebody in leadership. And if you're sitting here and it hasn't happened yet, you mark it down. I'm prophesying to you. And I've watched it, Sister Gross. I've watched people that have gone through some of the worst 
mistreatment and hurt in the church have worked through it and forgiven. They've forgiven who hurt them. They've given it to God. And they're still living for God, believing God, trusting God. And then I've watched others that actually didn't seem to be hurt quite as deeply. But they let that get in their spirit and it causes bitterness and resentment. And at some point in time, they end up backsliding. You know why it's, there's so many kids that were raised in preachers and especially pastors' home that have nothing to do with God anymore? Church hurt. Well, tell me about church hurt. You think just because my name is right and I'm the pastor and grew up in this, I got as much church hurt as all of you had. The bottom line is one of the things you got to decide is people are not God. It's like the old analogy I've used many times before. There's not one person here that if I walked up and handed, tried to hand you a $100 bill, you'd say, no thanks, I don't want that, there's counterfeit bills. Man, i got to share, i, I got a testimony. You know, there's a game called Things, and, and, and it, you, it, you, there's a category, and then everybody gives an answer, and, and then you try to pick out who the person was that wrote the answer. And a week ago, Friday night, we played Things, and the, and the, and the topic was Things You Like to Feel. You know what my answer was? My answer was $100 bills. They all I think they thought my answer was good, but then they're like, "What? $100 bills?" Do you know what happened on Sunday? I had somebody that I went to just simply say hello to that reached out their hand and said, "I want to give you something. Don't reject it." And I walked away going, I know what that feels like. I don't remember what all the other answers were that last Friday night for that one, but I had the right answer. Back to my point. You don't reject money because there's counterfeit. Why do we reject? Why do people want to reject God? Because there's counterfeits. Because the bottom line is this the only way you can have a counterfeit is there's got to be a real. You can't have an imitation of something that's not real. If you don't want to have anything to do with miracles because somebody's had counterfeit miracles, you can't have counterfeit miracles unless there is a God who knows how to perform miracles. Sorry, this is five weeks. No preaching, oozing out when I'm supposed to be teaching. Watch this. A couple more. I'm done. A couple more. Listen to what Paul says again in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only who, he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
even him whom his coming even him whose coming is after the working of satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of righteous of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved back to verse 9 even him whose coming is after the working of satan with all power and signs and lying wonders miracles are not in and of themselves a validation of truth Just because somebody may actually have miracles is not God's stamp of approval on who they are and what they preach and what they teach. I'm running out of time, but simple example is that Moses comes before Pharaoh. He throws his rod down and it turns into a serpent. And I think Pharaoh went... And his magicians come over and they throw their rods down. And their rods become serpents as well. Notice what did not happen in that moment. Moses did not all of a sudden go, wow, my God, we must be on the same side. He realized we both may have just made rods turn into snakes. But Moses knew it was the I am that caused his rod to turn into a snake. And it wasn't the I am that caused their rod to turn into a snake. So you can't let miracles, you can't let goosebumps. Those are not what validates truth. What validates truth is what does the word say? Verse 11, and for this cause, now watch this, here it is, I'm getting all that to get to these two verses. And for this cause, God get, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God is going to send them a delusion, not the devil. God's going to let it come, and here's why. So that they might all be damned who believe not the truth, but had, dis- but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What opened the door for that? Verse 10, they did not have a love for the truth. They were more concerned in arguing about what the world's doing and why it's okay for us to do that and why this isn't necessary and that, rather than buying the truth and selling it not. Verse 11, 12 from a couple of translations and I'm done. Therefore God sends upon them a misleading influence, a working of error and a strong delusion to make them believe what is false, in order that all may be judged and condemned who did not believe in, who refused to adhere to, trust in, and rely on the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. Living Bible says, verse 11, So God will allow allow them to believe lies with all their hearts, and all of them will be justly judged for believing falsehood, refusing the truth, and enjoying their sins. In the Message Bible, And since they are so obsessed with evil, God rubs their noses and it gives them what they want. Since they refuse to trust truth, they're banished to their chosen world of lies and illusions. I said it, I think, last night in the Be Holy class. Having grown up in this church, I have watched throughout my life people here and others elsewhere that were apostolic, 
it usually always starts with arguing about the outside stuff. About why what we wear is not important, about how we dress, about hair, and all those things are not. That's usually where it starts. But pretty much without fail, that's not where it stops. Because people who initially believed in one God and the plan of salvation and all of those things and said, I I just don't think that stuff is necessary. When they start messing with that stuff, it's usually only a matter of time until things that they said would never change, they would always believe. They will start compromising those things. This church has been taught for decades about spiritual warfare. and We've heard about the, 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 the God of this world that blinds the minds of people. Let me tell you something. If that's the case, we can do spiritual warfare and we have authority to come against that. But you can't bind God. You can't rebuke God. And one of the most dangerous places to ever get to is where God decides you don't want truth and you don't love truth, then I'm going to give you some delusions to believe. And that becomes almost hopeless. I don't believe, I don't want to sound negative, I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but I don't believe we've seen anywhere near the end of the creeping in to the body and the tares being sown among the wheat and the false prophets that Peter talked about. You and I need to make up our minds. We want truth. Whether it's convenient or not. We want truth. Whether it fits the lifestyle we want or not. We want the truth of the Word of God. And we are going to hold to those commonly held beliefs and practices among the churches, and I will say it this way in the context tonight among the apostolic churches. I know this song is really not a good one to bring up, probably in a lot of ways, but there's an old song that says, Give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. I know religion is usually a negative word and negative context. I get all that. I believe all that. I believe it's in the book of Jeremiah where they said, Give us the old paths. We may sing different songs than we sung in the 80s and the 70s. We may have different technology available. We may have more instruments than we used to have, but we still got to walk in the same path. Holding to the same truths. Not changing, not compromising. Father, help us tonight. Lord, I feel like that
This evening is such an unpopular topic from the perception of Christianity, but you didn't call us you didn't call us to be people pleasers, you called us to be God pleasers. And so God, I trust first and foremost that what I have said and shared tonight is from you. It's what you have given me to say and minister to this body tonight. And I pray tonight for my brothers and sisters that are here, those that are a part of this congregation that may not be here tonight, but they're a part of us. I pray, God, that by your grace, you would give us a love for truth. That no matter what anyone says, no matter what any opinions or ideas that come our way, if they're contrary to what truth is in your word, We will choose truth above everything else. Father, help us tonight that we would not become entangled with those things the enemy sows into the body to try to destroy us. Give us the discernment that we need. Give us the the discretion, the grace that we need to follow the leading of your spirit, the wisdom and guidance that comes from you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.